Thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. What a privilege. Um, it's, it's lucky to uh, be preaching this side. I, I preached at Hearties three weeks ago, and uh, it was... Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I, I made a joke with him. But I said, yeah, I've got the opportunity to really destroy what's happening in 20 minutes. And so you guys can continue to rebuild it afterwards. Um, but it's, a, it's really a lack of privilege um, to share God's word, um, to be speaking. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I phoned Nick this week and uh, I said to him, Nick, I've got a bit of an issue um, in my preparation. I'm supposed to cover verse 1 to 6 of chapter 4. Of James and uh, I'm 10 pages in and I'm only on verse 1. So, so I, I'm pretty much preaching just from verse 1 tonight, um, but I'm going to read verse 2 just to make myself feel better. <laughs> you can throw the slides on, Matt. Would you open your Bibles with me um, to James chapter 4 and we're going to read verse 1 and 2. says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, and, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. Now I want to read just um, verse 1 from another translation. Um, I find it beautiful the way the translation just um, pulls out the scripture and he says, what is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with one another? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and to fulfill your own desires? Now, I want to share a quick story, something I experienced last year um, while we were away. And uh, at this time in April last year, um, I was in Zambia alone. Uh, Amaray was uh, eight months pregnant, and uh, so she was big and uh, beautiful. And uh, we were due to have little Benji um, on the second week, I think they said around the 12th of May. And uh, 24th of April came, and uh, Amaray gave me a call, answered that call, and she says, Hey, how are you? <laughs> I was like, oh, Okay, hi. And she says, um, I'm feeling a bit sore. <laughs> and uh, if any of you have had kids, um, you'll know how the last um, month or so gets quite exciting. Um, women can have Braxton Hicks contractions and or just go into labor early or, or there can be so many potential things. And she says, I'm a bit sore. Now I was only supposed to return the next week. And uh, she began to tell me how she was in pain. Now, one thing I've learned about Amare is that she has quite a high pain threshold, and uh, she doesn't like to uh, admit pain very easily. Even we'll play if we do any sports or activities or something. She'll, she often her ankles just fold, and she'll like twist an ankle, and then uh, she'll be like, "Oh, what's wrong? Nothing. I'm fine." <laughs> so I didn't know what pain she was talking about. Um, but so I asked her. I said, "What pain are you feeling? Like um, I'm quite far away from you. What pain is this?" And she says, oh, it's pretty similar to that when Peyton came. <laughs> so that was exciting. Um, so I phoned my dad quickly and I said, I'm raised being stubborn. <laughs> I 
She, says, she actually said to me on the phone, don't worry, I'll be fine, I'll see you next week. And uh, so I phoned my dad and I said, dad, you have to go fetch Amaray. She's not going to go to the hospital, please will you take her and get her checked. Um, I think she may be in labor. So my dad called me late on, but uh, it was about 12, 12 in the midday when this happened. And uh, yeah, I'm sitting in the car, I, I packed everything, I had that church box trailer, I hooked it on the back, and uh, you know, I was ready to go, and I was just sitting there, and I was shaking, I was like, oh no, not now, this isn't how it's supposed to go. <laughs> and uh, my dad phones me at about 1.30, and he just says, um, son, start driving. And I remember just going, oh, shucks, sitting in the car, and I just thought, oh man, it's 1.30, the last flight takes off at 1, so I can't even jump on a plane. And uh, if any of you have been in uh, sub-Saharan Africa in the last year, you'll know there's been quite a few um, fuel shortages at times. And uh, often the, the stations are running out in Zimbabwe and Zambia, and uh, so I started my drive around, I didn't have fuel in the car even, I was just kind of that 100 bucks fill up all the time, and uh, so I knew the first thing is I need to find fuel. It took me about 50 minutes of driving around, and eventually at the first station, I found fuel and uh, filled up, and I thought, okay, it's time. I prepare myself. I felt like a Formula One driver ready to take off with a bucky and a, a trailer on the back. And uh, the, the trip from uh, Livingston to the border is about just under an hour. I did it in 20 minutes, and uh, no, I didn't. I'm joking. <laughs> I wanted to, but I didn't want to get locked up there either, so... <laughs> Um, started my drive and I arrived at the border and uh, I remember just getting to that Cousin Gula border and just praying. I was just like, Lord, please, I need safe passage. I need to get across quickly. Please, Lord, I, like, help me. And, and I got everything stamped quickly, um, got down to the ferries and I checked there and they have three ferries that take you across the Zambezi and uh, to my luck, only one was working. Uh, so I, I pulled right to the front and I've met a few of the guys over the past few years. So I went to one of the guys I know and I said, please, you need to throw me on this. Please, you need to throw me on. And he said, why, what's going on? And I just said, you need to throw me. I think my wife's in labor. I need to get home. And he said, don't worry, I got you. And uh, I remember the ferry pulling up and as that ramp dropped, doof, he said, come, come, whistled at me and I just took off again. It was about 20 meter stretch, but it took off. And uh, as I drove onto the ramp, I just remember feeling doof, this lift behind me, and he lifted the ramp door, and then normally they'll load about three, four vehicles and a big truck, and then they load about 30 passengers on there, and uh, I was the only one on there, and he lifted the ramp, and I remember feeling, whoop, drove parked, and I parked right in the middle, and I saw we were already off, and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is quite cool. I took a selfie, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I actually took a photo of the car because I thought I'm going to show people this. No one will believe me. And uh, you know, I smiled, waved, and uh, <laughs> had a laugh. But I, I remember just um, you know, pulling on, and I just thought, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. Now, Livingston to that, um, uh, 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 that border crossing is 75 Ks. Then uh, from the actual border crossing to Nata is 303 k's, then another 189 k's to Francistown, then another 361 k's to Martin's border, and then another 335 k's home. So I knew there was a drive ahead of me. It's late afternoon, um, and uh, I thought, shucks, here we go. 
Now, those who have come on the mission trips with us as well, you'll see um, from that Nata to uh, the Cousin Gula trip, that 300 odd Ks, you often see elephants during the day. And uh, we, see, we see, saw buffalo last time. We've seen a lot of animals. And so I started driving and it was getting dark. Um, and uh, I remember seeing quite a few shadows and having some exciting experiences with wildlife. And uh, my blood was pumping, but about 150 Ks into the drive. I just remember hearing this, and I lost all power. I didn't know then, but I, know, when I knew when I got back, um, but my boost pipe and my turbo had just split all the way through. So I'd lost my turbo, and uh, I was a very slow race driver then. <laughs> I, I couldn't get over 80 kilometers an hour with the trailer, and uh, I cried like a baby. I remember feeling, am I the one pregnant? <laughs> Shucks, I don't know who's pregnant here. Uh, I got so emotional that whole night of driving, and uh, it was a deep struggle. But you know, one thing I learned that day is that uh, bad sounds are usually an indication something isn't working. Bad sounds are usually an indication something's broken or something isn't working. Now, I was, I was stuck. I was a bad sound. I wasn't working well. And, uh, but I didn't know how to fix that sound or problem in the car. Bad noises often mean problems. Now our lives are filled with noises. Noises that come from conflict. Conflict disturbs our lives. It's like a crunching gear in a car at times. Or, or, or gears or noises that can just bring us to a complete halt or make us lose power or ability. And it's crazy in our lives how we can have um, these beautiful border experiences, amazing experiences, and then the very next moment we can have these uh, noises that seem to bring us to a halt. I mean, there was a noise outside that seemed deep in the engine that caused a big noise inside, in my heart. And you know, if we don't address these noises in our lives, they can bring us to a dramatic stop. But here's James a man with a pastoral heart, writing to a group of people, seeing them on the move, and uh, hearing all these noises, seeing these things, and like a good mechanic, he's wanting to fix these problems and address them head on. And as we read verse one, he says, what causes these quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the battle within you? Now something that we always have to remember in scripture is that these letters are written, it's a letter, it's a whole letter, so they to be read together. And uh, just before, James addresses them, and he says, peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. In the very um, verse prior to this, now he says, what's causing these fights and quarrels among you? And James seems to be uh, clearly contrasting the ideal of peacemaking, having just spoken of the attitude and approach that they should have, he now turns to demonstrate how far they sometimes fall. I've come to learn in my life, um, in walking in our faith, that uh, you know peacemaking or these peace experiences, great experiences, and fights and quarrels are often neighbors. I mean, how often do we experience this in our own lives? I, I'm not sure if I think I shared it in the evening last week, but last uh, week after sharing communion. In the first service, uh, Amare came in and 
quickly grabbed me at the back there, straight off to communion, and she said, my phone's just been stolen. And uh, I ran out, and my immediate reaction is I went down to the shopping center here, and I thought, this is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> I was so angry. I thought, yes, I hope I catch you. Honestly, I was boiling inside. I thought, yes, I hope I catch you. After being there about 30 minutes or so, um, I had to come back for the second service to share communion. And uh, I was deeply convicted. I actually was seriously challenged. I was really challenged. I stood at the back there and uh, there was the last song before communion and I was struggling. I was speaking to Tevin and Daniel and I was just saying, flip man, I don't know if I can do this now. I'm so angry. Yes, I feel angry. And I found myself in that moment having to check the plank in my own eye and having to ask God to do a work in my heart again. You know, the more I've learned about God and this war that we're in, this battle, is that we have to grasp the concept of forgiveness and praying for our enemies. Because God is the only hope. Without God, rapists continue to rape, thieves continue to steal, adulterers continue in their adulterous ways, liars continue to lie. And God is the only hope. I thought of it only afterwards, but I thought, imagine if I had met that guy, how he would have found Christ. <laughs> may have met him. But I may not have been the right vessel. <laughs> now, I really thought about it, honestly, and I, I thought, oh, man, if I'd bumped into that guy, I would have probably um, ruined my testimony. I don't know if I would have shown love. I would have struggled to. But these, these battles that are constantly waging war inside of us. And the one thing I've learned again is that the devil primes and is priming every situation to try and make us fall and stumble. You know, war is not a modern concept. There's a book called The Study of War, and it's written um, to an observation over a period from 1480 to 1941. And it's a time during nations where they were constantly engaged in wars. And he lists the major wars that were happening. And Great Britain were engaged in 78 major wars during this period. France, 71. Spain, 64. Russia, 61. Austria, 52. Germany, 23. The U.S., 13. China, 11. Japan, 9. And those are only some that he lists. Today, we've invented new, phases, uh, new phrases called the Cold War to describe a continuous state of, of international tension. Some of you will remember in 2001... Um, the U.S. declared a war on terrorism, an ongoing state of war. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, and he prophesied that there would be times of wars and rumors of wars in Matthew 24, verse 6. And this is so relevant today. But the hardest part of verse 1 for me is the latter part of it, where he addresses us and he says, you want something, but you don't get it. James is bringing the issue right to the heart, to the deepest, most personal application, is that the fiercest, bloodiest, coldest wars all began with one man's festest heart. The longest wars began with just one single blow. That being said, obviously, we never want to behave like that in our church, our homes, our places of work, or our social lives. But when we strike the first blow, it eventually leads to untold pain, injury, hurt, and sorrow. 
You know, the Christian is actually called to fight against fighting. And sometimes the ultimate answer and solution is actually to surrender. Jesus was speaking to his disciples in Matthew 16. And he said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, sometimes we're engaged in these battles. What we have to actually do, victorious or not, is to take up our cross, deny ourselves. And it may even look like losing a battle, but rather do that than lose your soul. But James is writing to Christians here. Ones whom he addressed as peacemakers. And the Bible also says in Luke 1 verse 79, he says, those who have found the path of peace. Yet here they seem to be fighting and chirping one another, talking badly behind each other's backs. And and there's so much evidence in scripture that the early church seemed to love fighting, but one another only. (laughs) Philippians 4 verse 2 says, I plead with you to agree with one another. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 11 says, These quarrel, there are quarrels among you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 1 says, If anyone has a dispute, he has how to solve it. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 20 says, I'm afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as I want to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions and slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. He was addressing Christians here who seemed to love engaging in fights. And I always look at it and I think, surely these aren't the Christians. But you know, it's easy to always condemn others and look at them and say, yeah, these Christians. But when we check our own lives, we're often guilty ourselves. Are we always gentle, peaceful, peacemakers? Or is this letter closer to the mark for us? I want to tell you a story, a little fable um, of a carpenter. There was a carpenter's workshop and uh, the tools were having a brawl. One of them said, it's the hammer's fault. He's much too noisy. Nonsense, the hammer protested. I think the blame lies with the saw. He's always going backwards and forwards all the time. Then the saw shouted, I'm not to blame. I think it's the plane's fault. His work is shallow and he does nothing but skim the surface. The plane objected loudly. I think the real trouble lies with the screwdriver. He's always going around in circles. That's ridiculous, the screwdriver said. The trouble all began with the ruler because he's always measuring people to his own standards. The ruler was furious then. What about the sandpaper? Surely he's always rubbing people up the wrong way. Why pick on me, said the sandpaper. I think you ought to blame the drill for being so boring. (laughs) just as the drill was about to protest the carpenter came in and he began to work with all the tools using every single one of these he built a beautiful pulpit from which the gospel of of peace was preached to thousands of people now it's just a story a fable but don't miss the point God does use imperfect instruments like us 
that we have the responsibility, like Hebrews 12, 14 says, to make every effort to live in peace with all men, especially Christians. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13 says, to live in peace with one another. Now, as I was studying verse 1, something jumped out at me. And I was looking through and he says, what's the cause of these quarrels and fights? The first thing that I could find is, identify three things. First one is pleasure seeking. He lists it as your desires. And that's a Greek word there. And it's pronounced hedone. And uh, we actually get the English words hedonism or hedonistic. But it means self-seeking, lust, pleasure, sensual delight, self-gratifying, self-indulgence, self-seeking. It's all about self. Apart from James 4 verse 3, Jesus spoke of the devastating effects when a man is choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. In Luke 8 verse 14. Paul wrote and he said, People are enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures in Titus 3 verse 3. Peter condemned those whose idea, was to, um, whose idea of pleasure was to carouse in broad daylight in 2 Peter 2 verse 13. Pleasure seeking is a hedonistic spirit. And a hedonistic way of life says that if anything is good, enjoyable, it must be good. And if it's good, I must have it. And I must have it whenever I want. Now why does James look at this type of thing and say this kind of thing produces fights and quarrels? Because the simple answer is that man can only satisfy his self-centered desires by conflicting with other people's desires. One of the fundamental bases for our unity and harmony in the Christian church is a part of submission to God's word that we should be Concerned about the interests of others in Philippians 2 verse 4. One of the facts about man is that man cannot please himself without cost. The second thing I found is that it is persistent. Your desires are that battle. And there's another beautiful word. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Stratayumaya. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a, a word that means, it's a militant word actually that Peter uses in 1 Peter 2 verse 11 and he says, sinful desires that war against your soul. And it means to, uh, like a military campaign to go to war. Now the word fights earlier in the verse we're studying is the picture of one in a continuous state of war, not a single hit and run. See, often you'll hear a doctrine of a sin, sinless perfection, um, but it's only preached by some and experienced by none. The Christian is actually a walking civil war. There's a 14th century poet and humanist, and he wrote, he said, five great enemies to peace inhabit within us. Materialism, ambition, envy, anger, and pride. If these enemies were to be banished, we should infallibly enjoy perfect peace. The third thing I found was that it's personal. Your desires that battle within you. Now the point here is obvious. It's personal. 
The world, as we know it, consists of nations and they consist of communities. And that's of families and families of individuals. And so it's easy for us to identify it's personal. It's not a nation's problem, it's a personal problem. And it's always easy to pass judgment on others. Even when we read the word of God, it's so easy to draw a line between good and evil. But it's quite another thing to admit our own self-centered sin. Now often we can get into the trap of judging others, but failing to recognize our own subtle sins in our own heart. What you have to remember is the word desires there, it may not always appear grossly sinful. But we have to remember one thing, anything that's put before God is sin. That's why James for me is one of my favorite books. It speaks straight to the heart of man. It speaks straight to my heart. You know, what we've been going through in James is we, we've discussed and preached and talked about that we're going to experience trials. That the word of God enables us to conquer. That we should never show favoritism. That faith is real and is expressed by works. That our tongue is the most powerful weapon that we have. That heavenly wisdom, we need heavenly wisdom and not earthly wisdom. And that quarrels and fights are often caused by our own selfish desires. One thing I love to do often with reading and the letters of the Bible is I often love to kind of look at them backwards and kind of track the thought of the writer. Because there's always a progression, a progression to what they're saying and in what they're saying and the way they write it. And I was just looking and I thought from just chapter four backwards, I was kind of reading and I thought, you know, our own selfish desires cause, and, cause fights and quarrels. Because we use earthly wisdom and speak wrong things, often showing favoritism. We don't often do what God requires, so we don't get the approval from Him or from doing the will of God, but we seek it from man. We don't live and apply the word, and so this only causes us to fail the tests that are before us, so we don't produce character. So we stay in the same place, feeling frustrated and disillusioned with God. Now I wanted to finish my story of the drive back from Zambia. You know, um, at about I remember phoning quite a few times. I picked up a SIM card on the way and yeah, I went through airtime. And I kept phoning home, kept phoning home, kept phoning home. And about 11 o'clock at night, um, I remember I was about an hour away from Francis Town because uh, the, the drive was so fast. And uh, I was phoning home and I was like, guys, ah, I'm feeling so exhausted. I'm so tired. Please, can you guys come fetch me? No. <laughs> you'll be fine. That was actually my dad's initial answer. Don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. But you know, a few hours later, um, at about three in the morning, I remember phoning and I phoned again and I just said, okay, I really need help. I'm going to crash. I, I can't stay awake any longer than this. It's so exhausting driving so slowly and having to concentrate. And uh, my dad and Nick decided they would come and rescue me. And even the, the, hearing those things on their way made me cry. I was just emotional. <laughs> but uh, I remember getting to the border just before six um, in the morning. I'd driven through most of the night. And uh, 
Got there at about six, checked through, and I thought, oh, finally, I'm in South Africa. And uh, after about an hour of driving, um, here comes two cars, uh, one car with two people in that made me cry again. <laughs> Stopped over, Nick jumped in the back here, I jumped over with my dad, and my dad shot off with me. And uh, I arrived at the hospital, uh, I think it was about 11 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I remember going in straight away, and uh, the doctor straight away put those, what's it called? Scrubs. Gave me the scrubs, and uh, I put them on, and we went straight into the theater, and uh, I made it, at least. I made it. Woo! <laughs> but you know something, as I was reading this portion of scripture, and I was thinking of that story, um, it, it just dawned on me, you know, uh, we, we often engaged in wars in our own lives, what seems to be wars, and we have these experiences that can bring us to a halt. And you know, one of the most valuable things I've learned is to never stop, to never give up, and to keep going, to keep fighting, because when we continue to walk and continue to fight, we get to the destination. Closing, I want to ask you, what is waging war within you? What are the things you're chasing after? What's causing turmoil inside of you? Are there any noises inside of you or around you that you should be paying attention to? Now, often we want to play tough and uh, we downplay the noises around us until they bring us to a dead stop. You know, often our wars that we go through are because we're trying to gain the world. They're not always because we're fighting for Christ. In that scripture in Matthew 16, verse 26, where he says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. And I just want to pray over us and for us. Many of us are engaged in wars that are causing deep turmoil inside of us. Many are worried about family, friends, our future. Should we immigrate? Shouldn't we immigrate? Do we run? You know, it might require us to abandon our own desires, not to chase after the world, but to listen, Lord, what are you saying? We often read that scripture in Matthew 11, where he talks about, um, cast your cares and your burdens, because I care for you.